This is Bonjour Chai, the inherently fertile edition. I'm Avi Fongold in Montreal, and I'm here with Phoebe Maltz-Bovey in Toronto. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, we move from pop culture to religious diversity in Israel and hit Taylor Swift, Succession, and all sorts of stuff in between. Lots of stuff to talk about on the show. Stay tuned. Phoebe, how's it going? It's all right, Avi. How are you doing? I am good. It's summer. Things are nice out. Uh, how is how is life eating out of a dorm kitchen? It's interesting. Um, we are trying to figure out all the different things you can do with an instant pot um, because that is currently our stove. And you can use the saute function to make eggs. You can use the regular function to boil pasta. It doesn't come out very... I don't think an Italian would consider the result to be pasta. But yeah, so I'm doing a... It's a, my family's doing it. I should just say the background is we mentioned doing it. a kitchen renovation. Yeah, you've mentioned it on the but show they, last for, week. For yeah, those yeah. who don't remember it, clarify that it's not that it's not that podcasters are suffering so much in this world that we all only eat from an instant pot. It is that it's temporary inconvenience but for a good cause but from what i understand the like and i don't have an instant pot but the people that own instant pots are like evangelists right there is a a faith (laughs) of instant pot that literally you can eat everything out of an instant pot yeah i'm not one of those people but i'm finding it convenient that we happen to own it now i think to do this what i think these are these very like virtuous people as i imagine it who buy like dried legumes and make like a week's worth of food from that and are not frantically like what's for dinner tonight what you sound like you're saying is that you are instant pot secular but you are being forced yes. to send your <laughs> like you know kids to instant pot like school and fret out of circumstance and so you're like sort of learning how to like live with religion the religion of instant pot even though or yeah, yeah i suppose so or like i've married an instant pot and i'm trying to make it work with an instant pot yeah as Versus in reality, where I have a husband who's equally mystified by what we're supposed to do with this instant pot. But he did remember that it has the saute function, and I was thrilled because otherwise I was like, what are we doing here? I thought it's all physics. It's all about, like, pressure cooking. (laughs) Well, he might know how it works, but that's, yeah, I don't think either of us know what to do with it. But yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. He's a theoretical Um, physicist, you're saying, as opposed to a... That's true, actually. But um, yeah, so Avi, what are you up to? I assume not instant potting things since you don't have one. No, I've been like, you know, it's it's wedding season. I will be in New York all of next week for my niece's wedding. I can wish her a mazel tov now, even before we get to the nachas. Um, And uh, I'm meeting with couples for their weddings later on this summer. Um, So like my brain is very much in like wedding mode. Mm -hmm. Well, that's nice. I feel like we have so many like little topics that we want to cover. So why don't we like recognize that this is a melange. This is an instant pot of of uh, of, <laughs> of uh, a stew of uh, of topics. Uh, why don't we like launch into some of these things and see where they take us? Yes, I think we should. So one that's been on my mind is Taylor Swift. Not somebody I normally give tremendous amounts of thought to, but I need to figure out that she has. There's some hashtag about her before you even get into that there was an, there was a piece today that came out um that my while my kids were in the car that was on the radio about uh this like taylor swift um like f- forgetfulness that uh, what do we call it amnesia sorry whoa um that like if you there are people that like have gone to these concerts that are huge fans and they forget a lot of what happened in the moment and that there's like a scientific hmm. reason for it because they are like they're in this tremendous high for such a long period of time that it for it creates inabilities to rem- have memories so so those people are not thinking too much about taylor swift either but i suppose not <laughs> um so this is no the hashtag is called speak up now 
And it seems to be there's like a viral, it's like hashtag me too, hashtag Black Lives Matter, you know, in that sense, like a, a protesting hashtag, except the thing that it seems like you're supposed to be speaking up about <laughs> in this case is the very large scale political issue of Taylor Swift's rumored boyfriend, Maddie Healy, another music, he's a rock musician, she's a pop mm -hmm. musician. Her rumored boyfriend is a rumored bigot and that's been um the source of a lot of concern for a lot of taylor swift's fans many of whom and the reason this story kind of came onto my radar jewishly is that there was a thread that's unfortunately since been deleted unfortunately because it would would be very interesting to link to um where a woman who's christian and like identifies herself as christian religiously i don't just mean like not jewish um was saying that like she's speaking up for on behalf of like all the marginalized people hurt by the anti-Semitism, racism, this, that, and the other of Taylor Swift's alleged boyfriend. So she was speaking up for the Jews, right? And a lot of people, she was not the only one. There's this whole movement of people who are coming to the defense of Jews who are so plagued by the existence of Taylor Swift's boyfriend, of, by Taylor Swift's choice to date this person. So I looked into this a little bit because I was thinking, is this really like the plight of Jews today who Taylor Swift is dating? And basically, my short answer is no, and everybody can relax. It seems that Taylor Swift, if she is indeed dating Maddie Healy, who is a British rock musician, um, whose father is a British sitcom actor who I was familiar with. I had not known Maddie Healy. Um, basically, he's an, an edgy rock guy, an edgy rock star, you know, tattoos, cigarettes, former heroin That's addiction. That's not edgy anymore. Okay, but, but wait for it. And, <laughs> and he goes on and supports podcasts that sort of um, poke at so-called woke piety, right? So his politics are vaguely left if this Maddie Healy's politics are sort of vaguely left, although sort of he's not, you know, a political theorist. He's a rock musician. And his band, which is called the 1975, mm -hmm. I guess, comments, it, it's the music is sort of comments on the zeitgeist, right? Yep. Yeah, that's fair to say. Okay, because I have only read about it. I had not. <laughs> have you heard it? I have. I've heard okay. his music. I've heard his music. Is it good? It's, uh, it's not bad. Um, I mean, oh it's, not, it's not Nickelback. Are you saying, no, are you no, saying just, that you support the music of Taylor Swift's you know what? evil I think, boyfriend? Look, this is this is a lot more complicated because you know the people that are getting worked up about Maddie Healy uh, should hear about Wagner, should hear about you know <laughs> Miles Davis and how he beat his wives and how he was a bad person but was a genius. Heard about, I don't think the people who well, are worked up about this have heard about like April twenty twenty three as the time that existed in history. You know what I mean? Like I don't think they are aware of the past. Even the Meaning even, uh, yeah, a month ago. That's what I mean, right? yes. Although there are similarities if you think about it, because I keep hearing about Taylor's concerts and how they are immersive experiences um, with s multiple stages and screens. And I think this could be called a Gesamtkunstwerk, right? Um, which is what <laughs> Wagner always wanted. So maybe this is the apotheosis of Wagnerian uh, art um, coming <laughs> forward. That is exactly and what they're all <laughs> saying on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I mean... <laughs> This is my take. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. So basically, it does not seem so there was a reason specifically that Jews got wrapped up in this. 
in the abstract, um, which is specifically that Maddie Healy made a Nazi salute at a concert. Now, that doesn't sound good, right? Why is he, you know, is he, who, is he hailing Hitler? Why is he doing that? Is he a Nazi? Does that mean Taylor Swift is a Nazi? What should we all be concerned? Well, it sounds from the context, and I read this context in Hey Alma, which is a Jewish women's mm-hmm. sort of pop mm-hmm. culture publication. It is not Stormfront. Okay, um, so they're not looking for reasons to excuse Nazi-ish behavior. The context was that he was mocking Kanye West and Donald Trump for being, in his perception and in my perception, perhaps, uh, anti-Semitic. Whoa, he was making fun of the Nazi-ishness of other people. And this is something that I have seen on many British comedies where somebody will kind of like do a mocking, like they'll click their heels together or some sort of like pretend hail Hitler gesture. And they are not supporting Nazism. It is clear from the context that they are saying that person over there is acting like a Nazi, whether by saying they're anti-Semitic or saying that they're just being kind of overly strict, like like a grammar Nazi and that type of usage. You know what I mean? They're saying that somebody else... A soup Nazi, would you, exactly. Would you possibly say that a Jewish writer or writers of an episode of <laughs> Seinfeld about a soup Nazi would be anti-Semitic? I, I don't know. I mean, well, so the thing is that there... Although they have this, come out recently. This came out like this month yeah. They where they said that that episode would not be able to like fly these days. You would not be able to, to run that episode. And nothing could fly these days. I mean, that's another whole... That could... Oh, I will... Except for Taylor Swift. She could do whatever she wants. Well, she can. <laughs> well, apparently not because people are very angry yeah. at her. But still, um, but the point is that this since deleted thread where this person was really wringing her hands about the anti-Semitism and racism and all of this of this man was all the the gist of it was actually she was trying to excuse the fact that she is going to a Taylor Swift concert and feels bad about it, but is still going to the concert because she's a big fan. This is the people that like so, have a hard time with Wagner, but still listen exactly. to it. But the thing is, so first of all, this is not Taylor Swift. This is a man who Taylor Swift may or may not be dating. Right. So there is already this question of should Taylor Swift be judged on the basis of a person who she's dating or indeed who she may not even be dating. So that's one level. But then there's is this man a worrying anti-Semite? Is this something that, you know, Jewish organizations that are trying to end Jew hatred and so forth need to be concerned about? And I, I my vote is no. I do not think this is concerning. What I noticed when I read uh, Gia Tolentino's New Yorker deep dive on who Maddie Healy is, is this is a man who's got a lot of like, he's got Jewish, like close colleagues to the podcast where he said all these edgelord sort of, you know, offensive jokes is something called, I think, the Adam Friedlander show. And what mm. background would you imagine somebody named Adam Friedlander might have? Um, I don't know. Um, it's hard maybe, to guess. Maybe he is uh, Austro-Hungarian. Perhaps it he could is, be. Uh, perhaps he is a Moroccan, Yemenite. Uh, it could be. All of these are possible. Know. Possible. But the he's point likely is, Jewish, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, I'm saying he's, so he's more than I've, I've been on his Wikipedia. He's Jewish. Um, so the point is, I do not think that this man is an anti-Semite. I don't think we need to be uh, losing sleep over this. And I think. That does not mean that he's a lovely person. That does not mean that he's somebody I would look to for political guidance um, or spiritual guidance. I don't think he should be, you know, <laughs> he should not be a rabbi figure. <laughs> but, Possibly. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it means that his 
he he clearly embraces edgy humor where he is sort of South Park like all purpose offensive. That mm-hmm. seems to be his his mo. And uh, but the, I I don't think that like I don't think that Jewish Taylor Swift fans need to be whatever you do in the digital age, it wouldn't be burning records. It would be deleting MP3 files. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I trust Gia Tolentino um, because I think she's a great writer. And even more than that, I trust you. Um, so I'm going to uh, move on that and say, let's let's not think about this anymore. Unless, <laughs> you know, unless he does end up in, you know, some, you know, Nazi rant and that we can re- reevaluate that. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. Speaking of pop culture, though, um, the Succession finale was this week. Um, Succession is this uh, four-season show that just finished on HBO, um, which I was late to the game, but I had enough to catch up on um, to watch this season as the rest of the world was watching. What I found fascinating about Succession and what I what hit me was that for the past um, six to eight weeks or so, uh, I have found myself reading all of the articles that were recapping all of the like episodes and looking for details for what clues might happen um, in the future episodes as the story winds its way to a close. I was listening to a couple of podcasts that were doing show recaps and commentary uh, about it, and it struck me how both the story itself around Succession, which is about a uh, incredibly rich Rupert Murdoch-like figure and his uh, children's struggle to figure out who it will succeed him um, and his struggle to decide and to establish, and we don't have to get into any of those details, but like um, that story itself was so biblical in terms of the struggle for power, especially amongst uh the children of a powerful figure um, or the uh, ways in which like, I think about David and David's children um, and how that happened. And there's other, you know, epi- instances of, of something similar like that happening in the Bible. Um, so I found the story to be epic and biblical. Um, but the way in which all of these people are writing these commentaries um, was like, oh, or these like looking for clues and interpreting all of these details that show up. And some of them are actually Easter egg details and some of them are not. And some of the, you know, which is the way that Bible commentary works, right? People get these stories, they realize that they're very meaningful to them, and they are looking for meaning and looking for ways in which to interpret this meaning to fit themselves better and for them to be able to move forward with it. And I was like, oh, so when Rashi looks at, or the Midrash looks at these uh, these biblical stories and, uh, you know, all of these other middle-aged biblical commentary commentators, well, what they're doing is basically doing these like show recaps of Bible episodes and trying to find meaning for them for, you know, our lives. Um, yeah. I don't know what you make of this. I know that you watch a lot of British uh, comedies, but I don't know what the nature of like show recaps are for there or cultural so, comment, yeah. cultural criticism in general. Yeah. Um, there's not a ton of um, commentary on the shows I watch aside from my own. But what I would say is that generally I've noticed um, in 
cultural commentary and criticism specifically of the past, I want to say like 10 years at least, it, it's extremely, um, I hate to be the whole wokeness is the new religion, because that's not quite what I mean. But there's a lot of kind of op-ed type criticism of TV shows, movies, novels, things like that, where there is like, is this thing good or not, like ethically? And um, you see that a bit in this discussion of Taylor Swift, not so much about this Taylor Swift possible boyfriend, but of her songs and like what the meaning is in them, because people are always looking for codes there too. Mm -hmm. But criticism, I think today really does often try to find secret political meaning in things. And like, what is this person actually saying? Are they actually a good person or a bad person? Where do they fall politically? If they claim they're apolitical, does that mean they're actually, you know, bigoted and just not courageous enough to be even open about that? You know, like there's sort of um, the way that criticism has become less about the aesthetics of art and more about its, either, its politics real or imagined, I think, relates to the way that politics has become somewhat of a religion for some people. And I think you get this on the left and the right. That's why for I sure, you know, yeah. I was thinking about it both in terms of, let's say like, I first noticed what you're saying in, um, in with house of cards, where there were a lot of people looking at this political drama show and, trying to interpret who these people are. Are they good? Are they bad? How evil are they? Are they pragmatic? But that's just the way that Washington, D.C. works. And they have a greater good, but do they get corrupted? Do they not? Like, what's going on there? I found that was happening around there. And then to a lesser extent, or to a different extent, maybe around Breaking Bad, and even all the way going back to The Sopranos, where you look at these characters who might be antiheroes. Uh, oh, Taylor Swift reference right there. Um, and like trying to gauge, uh, well, is Tony Soprano actually a good guy? But he kills people, but that's just what he knows and that's his job. And But otherwise he's trying to be good in this world and trying to figure out what his place is. So, um, and I think that what is happening there, and I, I, I don't blame cultural criticism for this, is like what you're saying is we t we are political in terms of like politics is a new form of religion for a lot of people. That is what shapes their lives and what uh, gives them their values and principles. And if we are looking at these shows as narratives and stories about these um, decisions that we make or that are made for us, um, we're going to look for to details to try to parse out what goes on in our lives and in the lives of the people on these screens and these stories. Um, and that's what people were doing when it came to biblical stories. Um, when it came to, um, you know, Talmudic stories, you're, you're going to look and parse the details out really carefully. Um, and, you know, while people will go and make fun of like some of these recappers and say, Oh, you see, this is Talmudic, right? This Talmudic level discussion around, you know, succession and, well, the people in the Talmud were looking for meaning and people, they got good at criticism or at least investigation, criticism, critiquing, not being like being critical of, but being cr critiquing a, a, a thing for its meaning um, of the stories of the Bible and the laws and what's going on. And I, I just, it struck me as like this analog and this analogy to um, what rabbis and uh, Jews who learn Torah have been doing for millennia. Um, and it hit me because of succession 
where the characters are all equally like odious people. I think this is fascinating because, um, and I just want to throw in there, the TV show Girls, um, Lena Dunham's... I, I remember the first season, but uh, that's all, all I'll say. All of the yeah. criticism was like extremely this. So that's where I first noticed it. But what I was going to say is that it's fascinating to hear from somebody who's familiar with actual Talmudic investigations, you know, actual Talmudic research or readings, you know, to say that there is a connection because precisely like you say, that is the word that people use often kind of in a derogatory way of like, oh, somebody's overanalyzing something. It's almost like a Talmudic level, you know, yeah, when somebody can, reading, you know, the derogatoriness of when somebody goes and says about like, uh, oh, well, you can't say this about a law in the Talmud because of, you know, uh, just because these two verses that are not necessarily connected say sort of the same thing. We're going to create a law that's similar to from one to the other, and we're going to put them together in this way. And that's weird and doesn't work. And yet when it comes to succession, people are like, well, look at what happened in season one. And then it showed up again in season four. Oh, oh right? so I think and we're saying different like, things. Because what I'm saying is that I think that when people criticize cultural criticism, criticize reviews for being Talmudic and like yeah, but that's, I think we're yeah. saying the same oh, thing. And I'm okay. like, you dig yeah. this too much, but everybody everybody does this. And and that's what they do in the Talmud. So it is fair to call it Talmudic, but yet okay. the people that will critique the Talmud will often go and look for these clues in these shows. Um, not everybody will do it. You're right. Sometimes people will critique the show critiques themselves. Um, and, you know, that's, that's its own rabbit hole. But... Um, we should look towards what we do with these shows and the way in which we parse meaning out of them for our own lives and parse details um, and song lyrics, et cetera, et cetera, um, and uh, recognize that the precedent for that exists, right, when we're dealing with, like, religious texts and Bible critics commentaries and stuff like that. It's that's so interesting. It. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, that was my thought about succession and where, where things go with that. What do you have for me next? So, yeah, so we have a few um, interrelated topics now. So two weeks ago, um, we covered on our show uh, the really tragic death of a young man named Herschel Siegel, and we've gotten some feedback about that podcast, including um, the appropriate language to use um, when speaking about suicide, which um, noted I'm educating myself, and we are all educating ourselves on that. I think it's clear, though, hopefully from the program that everybody's heart is in the right place and that while our exact interpretations of things may differ, we all, you know, really are grieving this loss. It's really a horrible thing for the community and for just people generally whenever a young person dies, right, um, in that way. So... That's uh, one note. Another is that um, Barbara Kay... Longtime listener, friend friend of the pod. She's been on our Passover Seder episode, which is great. Um, but yeah, she wrote, a, she wrote a column. Why don't you tell us... Uh, yeah, so she wrote a column about um, whether Orthodox Judaism kind of... In the National Post, the column is called... Gay Orthodox Jewish man suicide doesn't tell us much about his faith and is about kind of whether there's something inherently irreconcilable about being gay and being Orthodox. And she concludes the column by discussing kind of, she takes it to a place about natalism and kind of pronatalism babies. Can um, you explain natalism? Yes. For, yes. So uh, natalism is yes. Well, I was going to do it sort of by the use of her, like I was going to do a quote from her article sure. to kind of convey it. But um, so she writes, 
for it is the blessing that officially elevates gays and lesbians from equality of human worth with heterosexuals to equality of cultural function, the blessing that affirms an existential shift in the Jewish family paradigm, one that is detached from biological complementarity in parenting, the blessing that uh, assigns equal value to a union that is inherently fertile and only contingently infertile, with a union that is inherently infertile, period. So, and the, and the final line of Barbara Kay's article is um, ridding our community institutions of dirty bathwater is admirable, of babies, not so much. And that's the end, end of the quote. Okay, so um, natalism, also called pronatalism, is a political belief that there should be either more babies generally, like in a particular country, or sometimes it's more demographically specific. So some, you know, racist pronatalists will say there should be more white babies. And this is not a, an unheard of thing to see people arguing. I have seen people arguing this online. This exists in the Jewish you know, community. The, the natalism the Jewish community yes. deals with all the time is whether or not women exist as uteruses for Jewish babies. And, right. Uh, and so birthright it. Israel existing effectively yeah. to make more Jewish babies. The trip I went on, literally, we were told make Jewish babies, um, and given vouchers for drinks. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think I found this article, uh, yeah, it was an interesting place to take this because I guess it's been a while since I've seen anybody like the, the hot topic as it were in, you know, the discourse and the culture wars is really trans issues these days and not so much, gay rights. Although I think what's starting to happen is I'm starting to see a split between people who are on the left generally and critical of um, certain facets of trans activism. And some of these people are gay themselves. And then a just sort of general old school conservative, I don't know how to put this in a way that's not going to annoy everybody, anti-LGBT generally take. Where this fits, I don't know. I mean, I think to me, it's it's been a while since I've seen anybody say that like gay people are functioning in some sort of are, are are preventing there being as many new babies. Because the only way that adds up is if you're saying that people who are gay should not just like if you're a religious conservative, you might say that they shouldn't act on their urges. But they're saying, like, it's a politically conservative thing to me and not necessarily a religious conservative thing to say that they should marry all the same, marry somebody of the opposite sex and have babies with them. Because then you end up with a marriage where one or potentially both spouses are not capable of being attracted to each other. They're bringing children into the world in a marriage where there's no possibility that these people ever want to sleep with each other. That to me seems maybe more of a politically conservative goal than a religious one. I well, don't no, religious also, educated. there's a... There's a documentary that came out a couple of years ago, and we actually had Rabbi Steve Greenberg uh, on to talk about it. It was a documentary called Marry Me However, um, about people who know that they were gay and were told, like, yes, you should just get married anyways, and things mm-hmm. will be okay, and how and are it's things destructive. Okay? Things are not okay. Um, <laughs> okay. It, it is destructive to tell somebody, to, like, find somebody to say, hey, you should marry this person, even if you're not attracted to them, because, or you're not attracted to each other, because it'll be better for the Jews, or, or better for you personally, or whatever it might be. If you're talking about a community where mar- where arranged marriage is typical, you might say, well, okay, so people who are gay are not marrying somebody they're attracted to, but nobody's marrying their crush because it's all arranged marriages mm-hmm. anyway. But there was somebody made the point that like, 
it's still different, basically. It's still different to be married to somebody of the sex you are attracted to than not to be. And I thought that was interesting. And yeah, I mean, I don't know, having never been in any of these situations myself, how it all would go, but I, I would imagine it would be different. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a couple of things in Barbara's article, and I know that uh, Barbara and I have communicated about this, so that is a disclosure that I should put out there a bit about this piece, but it just stuff in general, because I see her in Shul on Shabbos. You know, she is a congregant. She is a neighbor. She's a wonderful person. I like her. So it, the same thing I've said about uh, with, with Rabbi Weiss uh, uh, several weeks ago, I would say about Barbara Kay that this is an argument for the sake of heaven. This is We may differ you know, on, on various points of Judaism or philosophy or politics, uh, but we like each other still personally, I hope. Um, but um, the the two pieces is one, whether or not one really buys into this. And I don't buy this argument of like, well, because there's this inherently infertile uh, relationship, therefore that is why the Bible prohibited it. And I don't think that that's really the case. Um, I, I Do think you want to expand Bible, on that? Because that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think that the Bible gives reasons for anything. And I think that what happens when we do insert what we think are the reasonings, um, when those reasons end up changing, uh, we are kind of stuck because then we sort of say like, hey, uh, the reason changed, does that mean that the law has to change? A a good example that I always use about that is um, the people that like to point out that circumcision actually um, has shown to be uh, create decreases in rates of AIDS uh, infection um, and that therefore you see God wants us to be healthier and therefore circumcision is healthy. Um, But but what happens in 10 years from now or 20 years from now when uh, that study gets not only overturned but gets reversed and says, well, it might be okay for AIDS, but it's incredibly, you know, uh, leads to incredible other, you know, damaging uh, uh, health condition or something else, circumcision, well, then if you've put all your eggs in this basket of, well, God wants to be circumcised because it's healthier for us, then we find out that it's not. And then, you know, well, maybe then we have to change our rules, right? Which It's like if if there's a study saying that bacon's healthy one week and bacon's unhealthy the next, do the laws of kashrut change every week? Maimonides specifically said that pork is clearly unhealthy and therefore that's why God prohibited it, you know, and we, we know that that's not always, that's, that's not the case. But anyways, so I don't like to ascribe reasonings to things. I don't think that this idea of it being inherently un, unfruitful is, is, is an argument. But like, even if, even if, and I don't buy that argument, even if you are going to buy that argument and say that this is the reason why God created this prohibition in the Bible, if you go and say, well, you're never going to satisfy all of these uh, people who are arguing for, you know, full marriage equality or or else you're clearly a homophobe and we want this or else, right? That is a segment of the population, but I don't think that's everybody. And just because there are people that will always find you not liberal enough doesn't mean that you don't do the work to make it still something that is fine for people that are more centrist, that are liberal, but liberal enough, you know, and not too liberal, and that there are people that you are working to include in your communities. We don't include everybody in our communities. Um, there are people who we definitely end up excluding. We try our best to be inclusive, as inclusive as possible, but Judaism isn't for everybody, and these certain things aren't things for everybody. And well, certain if types you don't of think, Judaism aren't for everybody. There's always another sure, denomination. There's always another denomination, but what I was going to say was that if um, if it's not, you know, something that works for you, um, or if you find that Ju- Judaism's answer to what is going on is not enough for you, then, you know, that's a discussion that you have to have, but you also have to realize that not everything is for everybody. I used to, you know, uh, I can't be a Mason. I mean, I can be if I pay for the dues and I learn all the secrets and all that. But until that happens, I can't go to Masonic lodges and go to their rituals, right? Because I am not a Mason and I I haven't been asked to or follow the, you know, 
prescriptions and pre- prescriptions and and various you know things that That's I have a to really do. good Midsummer Murders episode is the one with the Masons by the way. Oh really? Um, oh, starring the I... very attractive actor John Castle. Just gonna did, plug did, that there. Did, did you get yeah. to see him in his apron? His uh, my dad was a Mason, so uh, I know oh, a, really? a bit about Freemasonry. Yes, um, um, very very pro Mason. <laughs> Yeah. So I think that's right. I mean, I I guess what I just keep coming back to is in the world of 2023, where, you know, I I think about like, what is the pro baby, pro Jewish baby, let's even make it position here. And I think here's a young person who if the world had been, you know, a bit more open to him, or if his mental health had been better, however you want to look at it, might have been a father one day, um, through, you know, different ways gay men become parents, because sometimes gay men do, in fact, become parents. It's not exactly unheard of. Those would have been Jewish babies. Here we have a situation where that's not happening because this young man is tragically dead. So, Mm -hmm. eh, you know, like, it's hard for me to see the Jewish baby's position being, like, more exclusive. Yeah, I think what I think it's the... Does that make sense what I'm saying? I'm sure I think so. And I think like I said, different groups of people, but that's what I uh, that would be my position. I think there's the two separate issues here is one, whether or not this natalist thing exists. And there has been what what I found very heartening is that there's been a huge pushback, like I said, against natalism in heterosexual Judaism to go and say that, like, you know, it's not just about Jewish women and this idea that, like, we need to have more Jewish babies. I have been an early the reduction of this. So 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 that whole that the fact that that is not not quite settled, you know, law, but we, there's enough of a pushback that we know that this is not right. Something that we really I, I personally look at and say, uh, you know, with approval, yes, we should think about Jewish women as uteruses for carrying Jewish babies. We are women. Jewish women are more than that. And uh it goes without saying. So the fact that that's there, um, I think we can extend that to the LGBT idea around ideas around natalism. We can have those discussions. But but even if right those discussions are still happening and it's still very difficult for communities to grapple with these things, the fact that people are not quite getting to that level um, doesn't mean that they should stop trying. And for you know to go and say we're throwing at the baby with the bathwater or the babies with the bathwater or the fact that we're saying you're, you're never going to satisfy all of the you know gay gay and lesbian activists doesn't mean that, you know, you might satisfy a lot of them and that that that's for that. And we don't have to satisfy all the people all the time. Um, you know, and as lo- as much as I always say, nobody wins unless everybody wins. That's my big quote from Bruce Springsteen. Um, we can have everybody win in different ways, right? Isn't that the whole equity um, and not equality? Um, and uh, orthodoxy is working for a lot of that, but it takes time and uh, it's not always what people want it to look like yet. Um, yeah. So before we move on um, to our next topic, so there is a, something that I've been following just um, in my capacities as a person in the world, not specifically as a Jew. Um, I had been just following a lot of debates that are going on in Canada and beyond generally regarding how schools approach uh, LGBT rights and education on these topics. And what's been interesting to see is in Toronto, where I live, where, you know, public schools will have up, you know, often trans, possibly all of them have trans inclusive pride flags up year round, not just for pride month. Um, There have been recently a bunch of debates about um, what's happening in Catholic schools, where I guess they are not flying pride flags at at least some of them. And Doug Ford, um, 
the uh, premier of Ontario has said something like, I forget it was no comment or so. So this is very much in the news to do with Catholic schools. And there was um, some video of parents very upset at a Catholic school, something to do with this. Um, What I have not known about and am curious to learn more about is what's going on in Jewish schools in Canada. Um, And the little I do know about this is that there has been some sort of hubbub, although I'm still trying to parse it Talmudically, um, at the Bialik school over how um, the school is approaching, should approach um, education on LGBT issues. And we are we are much like Fraser Crane listening. And if you oh know God. about this, sorry, um, <laughs> if you know about this and have strong feelings about it in any way, shape or form, Obviously, if your strong feeling is that some group of people are awful and the worst, like some demographics awful and the worst, I don't want to hear from you. But if you have, you know, reasoned, sensitive, um, thoughtful, (laughs) but whatever its politics views on this, I would be interested to hear from you, especially if you are knowledgeable about this, about what's going on um, at Jewish schools on these issues, Jewish schools of different denominations, Jewish schools in different parts of Canada, not necessarily, they don't have to be Jewish schools that I pass on the bus, because that wouldn't be any because of how the bus routes go. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's... Um, Send us an email at yeah. bonjour at the cjn.ca. We would love to hear from you um, for a few possible future episode, because we are still researching it. So speaking about the diversity of Jewish life, um, I was very heartened to see um, that a conference went on this week uh, in Israel uh, by the Honey Foundation. Uh, and if you don't know what the Honey Foundation is, I encourage you to go check out their website. It's called honeyfoundationforisrael.org. Um, what they do is they actually fund uh, leaders in Israel um, who are leading organizations and initiatives and movements uh, that are specifically not being funded by the state. Uh, oftentimes, and it's not, this is a, a trans-denominational uh, organization, um, but there are often for either religious reasons or for other reasons, um, great organizations that are not being funded by the state of Israel um, in terms of whatever they fund in terms of Judaism, because, you know, there's a city rabbi in every town and that is a city position and the Jewish courts are paid for by the government and all of these, a lot of Jewish life is paid for and run by the state in Israel and the Honey Foundation is looking to like really increase the diversity and the types of voices and the people that are taking ownership for, right, their Jewish life um, in Israel, um, even if it's not something that the state will otherwise wise uh, take care of for them. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a really cool like thing that happened this week. And uh, yeah. So I had a question about that because funding is part of the picture there. But as I understand it in Israel, if you want to have a Jewish wedding, there is not like a choice of denomination to go with, right? You it's if you yeah, want to have a so... reform Jewish wedding in Israel or reconstructionist Jewish wedding in Israel, that's not something I'm not on the up and up in all the details, but uh, broadly speaking, that was right until relatively recently. Um, But a little while ago, for probably 10 plus years ago, there was an organization called Tsohar. um, And they were an alternative group of rabbis who were trying to be observant 
Orthodox rabbis that were trying to say we are going to uh, do a lot of this work and exist like as a separate um, to what's going on in the state. Um, there are, uh, from what I understand, actually, it's illegal. You, it's a felony or something if you're a rabbi and you perform a Jewish wedding outside of the state system. Um, but they will facilitate working within the state to fill your religious uh, desires and approaches, um, but to also work within the system of the state. Um, a lot of people, what they do is go to Cyprus and they will, uh, but that's, you know, that's do huge, the quickie. Right? So this it's is extremely important. Yeah. This is extremely important. And this is, to be honest, like a reason, one of the reasons I do not live in Israel is because that, that would not have appealed to me. And from what I understand, there are rabbis that are engaging, and I think that there should be more, engaging in some sort of civil disobedience by saying, you know, I'm a liberal rabbi, I will do this wedding um, outside of the state, and uh, your wedding will be religiously recognized by me. It's not recognized by Israel. I'm in, you know flagrant dereliction of my, you know, uh, duty as a citizen to not do a wedding unless it's being done by the, you know, Israeli rabbinate. Um, but they are doing it anyways. And they're, and the system is changing only increasingly very, very slowly. And it's the types of movements like this honey foundation that are going and saying, you know, we do need religious diversity. Um, and it's not up to the state to sort of impose one vertical on it. And as much as the Orthodox go and say, well, this way, everybody is, you know, umbrellaed in and everybody works, it doesn't work for everybody. Mm -hmm. And that that's, um, important. And that's, I really want to commend the honey foundation for that. But you are right. It is uh, the, the things are really tied up and complicated in Israel when it comes to. Yeah, I mean, life. to me, this seems different from the whole sort of change taking time thing, because this seems more like there are different factions and one of them won out politically. You know, what yeah. I mean? because it's not yeah. as if the existence of more liberal denominations performing weddings is new. You know, well, like this is happening all it's over the political. place. political, exactly. If right. the conservative but movement... But this is about different, different groups having power than other groups. It all goes back to natalism, right? If we went to conservative <laughs> Jews and said, you should have dozens of babies and you will, you know, outflank the ultra-Orthodox in terms of baby making, then I can assure you that all of Israel will all of a sudden start saying, hey, we need conservative Judaism or reform Judaism that, but right on our problem. side. And this that's is it. always yeah. going to be to the benefit of a more... Um, culturally conservative group because by definition a liberal group can't be saying have you know as many children as you physically can because they are for you know liberated oh, women unless uh, unless we figure it out maybe the kibbutz model of saying we should have a lot of babies that are secular but we'll all raise yeah. them in these like daycare nurseries on the kibbutz that's, you still have to work. you still have to gestate them and stuff it doesn't it yeah, doesn't work I, I, um I, but yeah, yeah so we could i could totally go on. but yeah um that is interesting and just yeah in terms of the also who gets to count as jewish for the purposes of moving to israel i think there is um yeah, yeah it's it's complicated but i i too am heartened by the existence of the honey foundation which i had not previously heard of and the work it is doing sounds mm -hmm. sounds good well, let's move on to our nachas of the week. Uh, Phoebe, what's your nachas this week? Um, well, my nachas, apart from the Instant Pot, is that I have not seen this, but I may have to uh, spring from one of these um, subscription services because there's a new HBO documentary called Being Mary Tyler Moore, which sounds amazing. And I read about it um, in a New York Times piece by the writer uh, Rhonda Garlick. Rhonda, not Rhoda, but Rhoda we all um, will know, um, was Mary's sort of Jewish best friend sidekick, not played by a Jewish actress, but um, convincing all the same. I, I believe Rhoda to be Jewish. Um, 
I feel like the Mary Tyler Moore show is kind of an honorarily Jewish sitcom for a variety of reasons, but it's also, I think, a show that really depicts like a a moment that was more feminist than our current moment, which is something that um, Garrick also argues in this article at the end of the article. And I think that's interesting just in terms of something we keep talking about on this show about change taking time. Sometimes change goes in different directions. And I would say certainly in the U.S. these days, um, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade and just a lot in the culture that, yeah, I'm not sure that things are more feminist now than they were um, several decades ago. And I think it would be interesting to learn about all of this through the lens of Mary Tyler Moore, who um, who was a pretty uh, interesting person. So, yeah. What's your nachas, Avi? What's my nachas? Uh, I just want to call it an album uh, by a friend of mine, uh, Tevet Sela, who's an Israeli jazz musician. Um, I don't know if you know this, and there's actually a very, very good article that I will put a, to a, a link in the, pr- the show notes from Israel21c.org uh, called How Israel's Jazz Scene Evolved into a World Powerhouse. Basically, there were these like few... Uh, uh, music educators that were really into jazz um, at a certain point in time, like the 80s, 90s, um, that like started training all of these Israeli musicians to become world-class jazz artists. And there's like tons of them. And the contemporary jazz scene is like littered in a good way um, with Israelis um, who often, you know, flavor a lot of their writing and a lot of their performing with um, Middle Eastern isms of some kind or another um so i'm a huge fan of that whole scene and and what has come out of it um but a local hero in that scene is a guy named tevet sella uh who just put out an album which is actually recorded in toronto uh live at the rex so you should check out that album it's a lot of fun you should check out uh, this article on israel's jazz scene in general uh maybe we'll go out with a tune of his and uh take it from there and uh Check it Very out. Very cool. Good Very music cool. is I've always good. Stayed, yeah. I've stayed at the Rex Hotel oh, once. I, I have not. I've stayed at the Drake where there's music and hotel stuff happening. We rec- we recorded at the Drake, if you don't remember We that. did. It was um, very, very hip and glamorous. We should do it again. We're, we're planning, uh, just so you know, a June, uh, tentatively a June uh, and tomorrow get-together. tomorrow June. So, yes, so exactly. So <laughs> mid to end June, we are yes. planning a, uh, and now that I've said it on the radio, right, I have to do it. Uh, <laughs> we are planning a, a get together for fans of Mojur Chai. Uh, probably won't necessarily be a live recording, but there will be some interaction with us. Um, so stay tuned for that. There will be more details coming up very shortly, hopefully about that. Um, yeah, that's our show. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to me. And thank you for being here, Phoebe. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending June 3rd, Shabbat Parashat Nassau, and the birthday of Hadar Feingold. The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CGN Podcasts is Michael Freeman. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you told a friend about Bonjour Chai. It's one of the best ways that we get our listeners. And as always, please do email us with comments, questions, ideas at bonjour at thecjn.ca.